often injuries, often fatalities, although surprisingly, a lot of times it's just a bunch of near misses. That's yeah. okay. I mean, I prefer that. They issue a recall and it gets fixed. Okay. But none of that has anything to do with the computer, let's call it computer safety. Some people call it software safety, but it's really the computer and the software. None of that has to do with software safety. So none of the automated steering, none of that stuff is covered by these regulations in the slightest. Even electronic throttle control. Remember the Toyota unintended acceleration sure. stuff from a while yeah. ago? None of that is covered by FMVSS. So car companies can do whatever they want. And if enough crashes pile up, NHTSA takes a look. But they don't actually, as far as I've ever heard, they don't actually look at the software. They just tell the manufacturer, you got a problem, go fix it. And sometimes the manufacturer says we have a software problem, and sometimes they don't. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Smoking Tire Podcast. I'm Matt Farah. And just a bit of housekeeping before we get into the show. Our new car review video is up. It's the 911 ST versus the 911 GT3 Touring. They are kind of the same, but very, very different. And it's a good one, so go check it out on the YouTube channel. Also, if you want to get the show ahead of time, not listen to ads, and ask us questions for the show and more, the Patreon is right there for you. Patreon.com slash The Smoking Tire Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Off The Record, and we have a new discount code for Off The Record, so make sure you update your Off The Record app or download that off the record app and use code TSTPOD. T-S-T-P-O-D is the code for off the record now. Make sure you use it. Off the record is the jam getting you help with all of those moving violations, big or small. Don't plead guilty. Go to off the record. They'll take care of you. All you got to do is scan or photograph your ticket, send it to off the record, and they will fight that ticket on your behalf. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to go to court. You don't have to do paperwork. They will do it all. They have an unbelievable success rate. And if they don't win, you don't pay. It's that simple. We love off the record. I love off the record. I just got a alleged big one dismissed thanks to off the record allegedly i was doing 94 miles an hour in a 70 zone but it's like it never happened got that text a couple months later your case has been dismissed all thanks to off the record code tst pod that's what you want to do tst pod and we are happy to have them we love off the record all right folks this is a very interesting and important episode calling in from his office at carnegie mellon university phil koopman is with us this is a, a recommendation from my friend alex roy uh, phil is a professor uh, he is one of the world's leading experts in autonomy adas safety where we are going right where we are going wrong and man do we learn some scary stuff about the car industry on this one. Uh, Phil wrote a book called How Safe is Safe Enough. I have already ordered it. I can't wait to read it. We talk a lot about the topics in those books. I think you guys uh, will like it too. And there are some really, really important topics uh, that Phil has thought very deeply about. And uh, it's great to chat with him. I have a feeling this is going to be a multiple repeat guest because this, this show was so interesting. Phil Koopman from Carnegie Mellon University, author of How Safe is Safe Enough, is here on the Smoking Tire Podcast. 
Uh, Philip, thank you for joining us uh, today. My friend Alex Roy says, if you want to talk about autonomy, safety, how to do it right, how to do it wrong, uh, Philip Koopman is the guy. And so I'm glad we got an hour of your time to chat today. Well, cool. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I, uh, I I read some of the links you sent me last night and, and a lot of the stuff that you uh, study uh, and, and particularly uh, wrote a book about how safe is safe enough uh, is stuff that we we talk about on the show a lot. I mean, there's a lot of people in America and the world that are relying on technology developed by Silicon Valley and Detroit and other OEMs to to save us. And uh, and I question that. And I think that you have, uh, but also while studying it. So you're the expert in the field. So I hear. Uh, that's what people tell me. I've, I've been working on this a long time, like 25 years. So yeah. yeah, I've learned some things. Right. Okay. So let's let's just let's just dive into it. And if the audience can hear the leaf blowers in the back or the snow blowers in the background, uh, Philip's calling in from <laughs> from uh, Carnegie Mellon where it's uh, it's snowing. Um, so as we've gotten uh, as cars have become more like computers, right? The idea is they have become safer for those inside the car, for those outside the car, for those in in other cars. Do you think that that is true? And uh, is this is where we're going in the right direction generally? Well, there's a bit of a paradox because the safety features have certainly been added and the individual safety features, uh, many of them have a demonstrated benefit. And yet road fatalities are up the last couple of years. Right. So what's up with that? Well, I, 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 I mean, I honestly don't know. <laughs> I, I, if, well, if the equipment's safer and road fatalities are up, then that must have something to do that isn't really the equipment, right? Do you think that while it's it's so easy for people to say, well, we, we want safer roads, we want safer cars, do you find that consumers and drivers really do want that? but Or do they only want that if they don't have to give up Let's just call it their toys. I I don't know that I'm going to quite go there because I'm a safety guy, not a consumer car guy, to be clear. But okay. But but what people say they want and how they act is often different. Right. And what we hear is it's very fashionable and and it, it makes you look like a good person to say I care about safety in general. Yeah. And then and and people say that and they can be sincere and genuine and really mean it. Then comes the decision you have to make. Do you go for expediency or do you go for safety? Do you go for profit or do you go for safety? Do you Mm -hmm. go for meeting your deployment deadline, even though the safety guys say it's unsafe or the safety guys say we're not entirely sure it's safe, or the safety guys say we don't know if it's safe. There's a a spectrum, right? And, And where do you put the cutoff? And it's very hard to find situations where people will say, yeah, I know it's going to cost twice as much, but it's 10% not safe enough. And so we're going to spend the money. Yeah. That's a hard trade-off for anyone to make. And, and so people say safety is number one, you know, except for all the other things. That, that's kind of where you end except, up Safety is number one, <laughs> except for profit and cost and, you know. Well, it's, uh, it's number one, but then individual actions sometimes don't really bear that out. Uh, I look at this, the problems Boeing's been having lately. 
right. you know, safety matters, but we have to meet our production quotas or we have to uh, get our market share back or we have to uh, compete with Airbus to get a competing plane out. And, and I'm, I'm not trying to specifically say what motivated any of those kind of decisions. I'm just saying that this is the kind of environment that the real world exists in. And it's always hard on a decision by decision basis to to prioritize safety when there's a cost associated with it. Right. I mean, if we're if we're trusting capitalist enterprise to deliver safety, shouldn't that always be a little bit questioned because there's always got to be a profit motive and it can never be purely about the safety? Well, well, yes, but I, t I look at it this uh, a different, somewhat, somewhat uh, non-standard way, I guess. Um, if you want capitalism to prioritize safety, you have to have all the stakeholders pay full freight for the cost of not being safe. Uh-huh. Okay. And yeah. so if you have a system that undervalues the cost of a human life, then you can expect capitalism to not value the cost of a human life. It's simple as that. Yeah. And there's actually numbers on this. And and assigning a number on a human life is a very fraught exercise. Yeah. So this is a narrow view, and I'm not saying this is the right number, but there's a number. The U.S. government well, actually has a number. Right. And, and, and what is what is the published number? Do you, do you I'm sure you know it offhand. Just north of $12 million per life. $12 and million? It okay. by, by a few hundred thousand every year. Uh, mm -hmm. That's the last number. It was like 12 point something. Well, okay. famously, and, right, the Pinto, the Pinto thing, the Ford Pinto yeah. thing was the one. I, I don't know if it was where everybody, but it was certainly a big story where a lot of people learned that Ford did do the math on the value of the life, right? That was a big one. Yeah. And the catch is their value of the life is different than the one I've been talking about. Okay. Right. And, and this is actually at the heart of, of my point. There's the expected cost of human life that a company will pay out in lawsuits, okay? And then uh -huh. there's the expected value of human life, and capitalism is broken if those two numbers aren't aligned. Mm, I see. Okay. And, and so if your average cart settlement for killing someone is less than $12 million by a lot, which it is, it's a lot less than that, then it's cheaper to, to make something dangerous and pay out <laughs> awesome. from a societal from a societal awesome. basis, right? <laughs> yeah, awesome. I mean, that's, now where does that number come in? Well, the, the federal government has to decide. Well, you know, if we if we put this expensive barrier or guardrails or traffic calming or re, re completely redo this road to save lives, we expect right. to save X number of lives, and this is how much we can spend to do it and, and it be cost effective. I mean, that's how they use the number, which yeah. is a little different than a company deploying car, but but. The reality is we have a, uh, a system that has two problems. The first problem is we don't do strong regulation. We do very weak regulation. Right. Europe does strong regulation. We do weak regulation. Uh, and the rationale for doing weak regulation is we have a strong court system. But then you turn around and everyone complains about the court system That's being a, too strong. That is a and, and, I'm not a, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a scientist, but that sounds like two that sounds like two things that don't actually line up here. Well, Are, well it's not that they, strong. They do. They do. Now remember, I'm an engineer. I I've forced I've been forced to become a little bit of a policy walk, but I'm I'm an engineer, to be clear. I'm not a lawyer. Okay. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a Noted. I'm not a politician. I'm not any of those things. But so I'm gonna give you an engineer's naive understanding of the system which is probably over, overly reductionist. Um, you have a choice. 
you can have the government make sure cars and airplanes and trains are safe before they ever get out on the road or the tracks or the air. And we do that for air. We do yes. that pretty much for rail. It's a little indirect, but it happens for rail. In fact, it happens for everything except cars. <laughs> yeah, cars uh, is a real, it's a real cars, no I swear system. <laughs> no, yeah, no, I, I swear. I, it's good. It's good. I listen, I listen to your episode with David Zipper, yes. <laughs> uh, now, now, consumer goods, actually, consumer goods are like that too, but mm -hmm. in cars. So cars are more like consumer goods than airplanes or trains or, or drugs, okay? Like medical stuff. They're more like that. Okay, so the, the U.S. government does not vet cars. Car companies put them out on the road. And even if the U.S. government were to vet cars, none of the current regulations have anything to do with computer software. They that's crazy. I mean, that's like there's there's two separate thoughts there. The government doesn't vet cars and the vetting yeah. process that would exist or does exist or regulations that exist have nothing to do with software, which controls basically every aspect of a car today. Those are well, two very scary thoughts to put together and realize. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's break it down. Uh, we're going to get back to value of human life, but let's take this path because it's a, it's an important one. So the way this works is, um, and, and I know you covered it in the previous episode, so I'll do the, the short version, is that a car company knows that there's these standards called Federal Motor Vehicle Safety Standards, FMVSS, and they have to do with whether the uh, low tire warning works or whether your brakes work or whether your light headlights and taillights work and the airbags. And this is all important stuff for safety, to be sure. And, and there's a saying that that uh, regulations are like this are written in blood, and, and they are. These are all things where there were bad things happening and the federal government put in place tests to say, well, at least you have to meet a minimum standard. Mm -hmm. If you meet all of FMVSS, you're not for sure you're not safe just because of that. But if you don't meet it, you're for sure unsafe. Yeah. So most okay. of the recalls you see from NHTSA are for failure to follow FMBSS because that's the easy thing. Well, you failed our test, so you're done. Fix it. That's a recall. Yeah. Okay. So, but FMBSS isn't tested by NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, the, the car regulators. It's tested by the manufacturers. And they say, you know, they say, I swear, right? <laughs> I yeah. swear it's it's okay. And, and they put a sticker on and that's it. Now, NHTSA can and often does go back and check it out, you know, check up on them. Uh, or they hear of reports from the field that indicate there's a problem. And, and so, so NHTSA is primarily reactive. If there's bad things happening on the road, they'll issue a recall uh, in in after the harm has been done or maybe close calls, but often harm, often often injuries, often fatalities. Although surprisingly, a lot of times it's just a bunch of near misses. That's yeah. okay. I mean, I prefer that. They issue a recall and it gets fixed. Okay. But none of that has anything to do with the computer, let's call it computer safety. Some people call it software safety, but it's really the computer and the software. None of that has to do with software safety. So none of the automated steering None of that stuff is covered by these regulations in the slightest. Even electronic throttle control. Remember the Toyota unintended acceleration sure. stuff from a while yeah. ago? None of that is covered by FMVSS. So car companies can do whatever they want. And if enough crashes pile up, NHTSA takes a look. But they don't actually, as far as I've ever heard, they don't actually look at the software. They just tell the manufacturer, you got a problem, go fix it. And sometimes the manufacturer says we have a software problem, and sometimes they don't. And it's a just just doesn't go there. 
Well, this is sort of this what you've just described there kind of sounds like what just happened with Tesla. And I don't want to turn this into a me shitting on Tesla podcast, but we just had a, a big story where Tesla was ordered to issue a a, a, a over the air recall uh, of their driver monitoring software for being basically inadequate. Uh, and we've known people who have driven these cars have known for a very long time that their driver monitoring system was basically non-existent. And there was a million ways to get around it. And um, and they issued some software update and multiple journalists uh, tested cars afterwards and found it to be exactly the same, basically. And there's there was no real seemingly no real oversight over what this updated software did changed really anything. Right. Well, I hear the fonts are bigger. <laughs> yes, that's very. This is very important. Yes, of it's very course. important. The fonts are bigger. Yeah. So, so let's talk about that and and, and wrap it up back in this context. Uh, if you're a car company, any car company, and and we're using Tesla as an example to be clear, because other car companies have done things that are that are dubious. To be clear, okay? sure. You sent us the list of uh, of recalls, which I went through last night. The list of software based recalls that caused cars to behave in very sketchy ways, and the list is so long that after about thirty minutes of reading it, I was just like, I was so overwhelmed, and I never want to buy a car again. Like, I'm so sketched out by Welcome. all of this stuff. I wrote the list. Welcome to my world, okay? Yeah. <laughs> and we'll come We'll come back to the list because there are some biggins in there. But, yeah. um, but okay, well, to go back to the – This is really important. So, yeah. so to be clear, we're going to use Tesla as an example, but there's other companies who do things. All right. So if you're a company, back to the cost of the human life, if you're a company, if, there's, if your car is doing something bad and is – causing very unsafe situations. This goes all the way back to the Ford Pinto. You're in business to make money. You make an economic trade-off. You say, is the cost of paying out more than or less than the cost of the recall? Uh, and, and if you don't believe me, if you watch the movie Fight Club, there's this scene where the guy talks about it, right? I mean, that's, that is yeah. truly how it works, okay? Uh, companies are in business to make money. And yeah. if it's true to pay out, uh, they're they're very bad at at putting a value or a cost on negative publicity, which is which is how you get stuff like the Pinto or or Dieselgate or any of these things. Okay? Sure. Um, so, but ultimately, there's a there's a cost for human life because you can't make a car that costs a million dollars but never kills anyone. Right. That doesn't make sense. So so we're now down to there has to be a number. You know, the, the number from the federal government is 12 million. That, that seems like a reasonable number to me. It's not 100K or 1 million, which, you know, these some of these companies and these fatalities have paid 1, 2 million. It's a factor of 10 discount, right? Yeah. So that makes the economics. So so they, they look and at if this. You have, they, if you have an over-the-air recall, if you just have to push a software update, that is, I mean, if the, if the recall affects a million cars, but you can have a couple engineers in a couple of days pushing over-the-air update, that's way different than having to intake and physically repair those cars. That's correct. Uh, yeah. But it's it better be more than a couple of engineers a couple of days because every time you change software, you might break something else. Sure. So anytime you hear a recall got pushed out in a week, the the it is almost certain they didn't do as much testing as they should have for safety. <laughs> it's a yeah. different, different discussion. Okay. Yeah, that, so, that software <laughs> fix came out real quick. It was well, it was it was almost impossibly quick. You know what I mean? Well, 
Well, they had a heads up it was coming, so they may have been working on it in advance, to be fair. Okay. Because, you know, stuff like that, they don't find out. They wrote the recall. It isn't like they found out the day it was issued. Right. They actually write it, and NHTSA just publishes it. Right? Oh, so it was the, I swear I've fixed the problem that I swore wasn't a problem. That, That's where we're that, at. Yeah. That they still insist is not a problem. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, so the way this works is um, NHTSA, if, if there's been a bunch of complaints, incidents, News articles, crash reports, now they have to report the crashes they're aware of. You know, if NHTSA sees a pattern, a trend, they talk to the manufacturer and they may put pressure on the manufacturer to do a technical notice or they may uh, technical repair bulletin or they may put pressure on the manufacturer to do a voluntary recall or, or eventually a forced recall. And it's a negotiation. So a lot of times NHTSA doesn't get everything they want, but they, they probably figured I'd rather get a recall now that's 80% than a perfect recall five years from now after a court battle. And yeah, okay, that, that's how regulation works. I get that. So, so NHTSA goes out and says, you need to fix it. And the company says, okay, we fixed it. Here's our story. And NHTSA either has to decide to fight more or, or issue the recall. Okay, and, and so for Tesla... Tesla's done a bunch of recalls. Recalls aren't necessarily bad. You know, if it's an honest mistake and you're fixing it, yeah, such things happen. But a lot of the Tesla recalls are Tesla did something that was aggressive, that was pushing the envelope. Right. And it picks its battles where to whack them. It's almost like whack-a-mole with those guys. Right. With, you know, Nitsa has the hammer out and Tesla's whack-a-mole. They're always pushing the envelope. Right. Right. And and then eventually this is they, they pushed back. Um, and then... Then um, Tesla does a recall. Now, everyone says it's not a recall. That's ridiculous. It is a recall. Let me get to the difference here. The recall is the paperwork to make sure all the cars got it. And, and I'm hearing on the Internet that not all the cars have it, by the way. So the reason the recall is out there is so NHTSA can track that every, every car subject to the recall got the remedy. Okay. The over-the-air update is called the remedy. Yes. And the recall is the paperwork process. So okay. recall never meant going to the dealer. It never meant that. People are just making that up. It never meant that. Well, in some a recall, cases, a recall could, if it's a no, defective no, no, the part. Remedy. Of, oh, the, the remedy, remedy is, is going, going to the dealer. The I'm sorry. Remedy okay, is yes. going okay, to got, the it, dealer. got it. Got it. Got I it. know it's confusing. Recall as a word evokes going to the dealer. But in right. fact, this is, there's a bureaucrats. They use the words the way they use them. And, and, you know, you can't just say, I don't like the words. So it doesn't mean what I, what. You know, no, it does. It does law. make sense. It's the law. remedy it makes, is, the, is the action. Um, it's the action. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And the recall is the administrative process. Just, right. So everyone says it's not recall. That's just ridiculous. Okay. Now, could NHTSA change the word recall, which was invented before the updates were a thing? Yeah, they might, but that's the word we use now. <clears throat> and you can't say it doesn't mean what it means. Okay. So the recall is the paperwork. The remedy is the over there update. And in fact, it's pretty it's compared to bringing a million cars back to dealer. It is obviously easier. There's a moral hazard to to doing it quick and dirty and then it not working. One of the car companies is just right now is on its third over there update trying to get it right. So <laughs> I've had, I, I, have, I drive you know, a Ford Mach-E you know, and I've had quite a few over the air updates and uh, yeah. and and they've some in of fairness, them might be they, more than once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and, and that's that is that is true. I have a very early build and it was a little glitchy. Yeah. 
And so yeah. um, it is what it is. Um, but okay. So, but but what I said in a previous show with Jason Camisa was that there's if you have a recall that is due to a, a good faith effort to build a product that a subsequent defect was found, the wrong part was put on, the wrong tolerance of this, they there was an unforeseeable thing, and you have to bring mm-hmm. it back and change the part. Versus, as you said. Um, Tesla designed their systems in an intentional way. They were working exactly as Tesla designed them to work, and it was determined that that decision was unsafe. That's kind and, and of a difference, right? That's something you most I don't I can't recall any time I've seen that from any company other than Tesla. Guys, we got to take a quick break for today's sponsor, Freeze Pipe. And if you're thinking to yourself, "Man, that sounds like uh something for smoking weed well it is it is it is it is a pipe for smoking weed smoking cannabis doesn't have to hurt your lungs you can upgrade to a freeze pipe today to experience icy smooth clouds without the throat burn chest pain or coughing attacks freeze pipe is an american-owned glass brand that makes a unique line of freezable pipes bubblers and bongs that cool smoke by over 300 degrees uh, this technology was invented back when I was in college smoking a lot of weed and when I first used a, uh, a tube that has the freezable glycerin chamber oh man the game was changed pop a freeze pipe in the freezer for one hour and as smoke passes through it's instantly chilled for a pain-free and refreshing experience glycerin is a non-toxic gel that freezes quicker than water and stays frozen longer smoking a freeze pipe it's like putting ice cubes in the bong if those ice cubes took steroids played baseball in the 90s and beat up barry bonds i'm telling you if i don't smoke anymore i did for a long time but these glycerin filled uh pipes were the jam man it was a icy cold smoke I loved it. And these sent they sent me these freeze pipes to check out. They are beautifully made. Um, they're absolutely uh, high, highly scientifically functional. They're that kind of glass. They're awesome. Say goodbye to harsh smoke and coughing attacks by shopping for the smoothest pipes, bongs, and bubblers, and more at thefreezepipe.com. Use code TIRE for 10% off your entire order. That's thefreezepipe.com, code TIRE, T-I-R-E, for 10% off, priced affordably with free domestic shipping. Order today and start fighting fire with ice. Start smoking fire with ice. That's what I say. Thank you to Freeze Pipe for sponsoring today's show. Right. So so there are the recalls where just no one could have figured that out. That just, wow, okay, we learned a lesson, that yeah. kind of recall. And those recalls show the company's trying to be safe. Right. Those are a credit to the company. There are recalls where somebody cut corners or was sloppy or in a hurry or had a process that made it too easy to make a mistake. There are a lot of recalls like that. And those are somewhere in the middle that, you know, if you change how you're doing things to not make the mistake again, then that's a safety plus. If you're just, we're going to go fast and loose and clean up the mess as it happens, that's a minus. It's hard to say. But some of the Tesla recalls are, let's roll through stop signs and see how long it takes NHTSA to whack us. 
<laughs> yeah, the cat. I'm the not program. making that up. That no, no, I remember. Is a recall. That yeah. actually is a recall, right? Yeah, the programmed yeah. California roll. And look, we're in California. There's a reason it's called that. I'm not. A, I'm not a saint. I'm not saying I've never done the California roll. I'm not saying that. I have, and let's be honest, I do in an ongoing basis. Roll through stop signs at two miles an hour because there's a lot of them and there's visibility. Fine, not a saint, but you got to recognize that to program a car to do that is crazy. Yeah. That's it was nuts. It was also faster than two miles an hour. So yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's a that was a crazy thing to program a car to do. Now it, yeah. they might argue that they were programming it to drive more human-like as opposed to driving more robot-like, which is a. Now, they were they were arguing it would it only did it if the intersection was clear, but. The problem is, if the intersection is not clear and you make a mistake, you don't see something in the intersection, you hit them, then then you've actually been negligent because you broke a traffic law resulting sure. in a loss. That that's negligence, right? So that's, so yeah. There's now, so let, anyway. <laughs> let me go back. Let me go back to where this goes, though. Mm. Is that if you're a company, the question is, what's the cost for putting out unsafe software? And this is an industry problem. And again, Tesla's the poster child, but this is an industry problem. If you can succeed in blaming the driver for not compensating for the fault, there's mm. zero cost to you. Now, that is a hell of an asterisk, isn't it? Yes, it is. And the whole car industry works this way, which is just the more I learned about it, the more appalled I was because it's in some, I mean, other other industries have this is sort of everyone knows it's a problem, but the car industry, this is a feature. If you go to the uh, aviation safety standards, it'll say, well, the way we look at something going on in an aircraft and in uh, flight controls is if this thing goes wrong, what are the chances the pilot can save the plane? Uh -huh. Okay. And if, if it's difficult to control or above, there's actually keep key buzzwords, right? You're, it's just, you're not allowed to have, the more difficult it is to control, the less you're allowed to have it happen. Uh, and and they rate the severity of the risk by whether the pilot can be expected to control it. But these are trained pilots who have simulator time on recovering from emergencies. And, and if they get it wrong, the plane crashes, go see 737 MAX issues, right? Sure. Where, where they try to blame the pilot, but but that's the exception rather than the rule. Yeah, that story is crazy. The, I mean, yes. I, I watched the whatever the Netflix documentary about the 737 MAX, and it yeah. was crazy what they what they did in that entire in that entire yeah, process. It's crazy. Wild. So let's talk about the car business, okay? Look at the share price. The Matt. share price though. They, Think of the, the share stocks. price. You know, it's, it's the stonks, man. Right? Yeah. I know. I, know. We, I prefer not to go there, but yeah. yeah. So let's look at the car industry. And this isn't Tesla, this is everyone. Because I know you want you, you said in the other show you want to talk about drive by wire. So so let's I do let's I do want to work our way to drive by wire. Let's, yes. Let's build I do. up to that. Okay. Yeah. Um so in the car business in the aviation business, they follow their safety standards. And you know a plane is safe because the FAA certifies they follow their safety standards. In the car business, for the most part, they do not fully follow their safety standards. They will say they kind of follow them, but every time I've looked under the hood, so to speak, it was more like 10% than 90%, okay? No way. Yeah. Oh, it was, yes, their actual numbers, it was 10% um, in one case. Um, yeah. Wait. So hey, so you're saying that of <laughs> uh, of the hundred of of a book of safety standards, you f you found in a particular car that that only went ten percent of the way to being 
completely followed the safety standards? Well, there was a particular incident. I don't want to bring up the company because I don't want to make this about a company, but they said they followed a software coding. And this is publicly info if you know where to look. Uh, they followed, They said, they in a court case, they followed a safety critical software guideline. And and then when you dug, you found out they followed like 10% of the rules. And then awesome. when you dug, you found out that they didn't, that they tried to follow 10%, but they failed at half and they only followed 5%. <laughs> Okay. Well, they used okay. ChatGPT to write the programming. <laughs> that was way before ChatGPT, okay? So now various companies have different cultures and some do much better than others. And some probably, some of the suppliers actually do follow the standards, but the OEMs may not. It's all over the place. So I don't want to okay. tire the industry. It's all over the place. But from an outside point of view, none of them will swear on a stack of Bibles they follow the standard. So, and, and I know that we should not assume that they're at 99%. That, that's a really bad assumption. Okay? okay. So they put this stuff out with, you know, the software that's in it. And, and, but even if you follow the standard, what the standard says is we're going to give credit for the driver to cleaning up the mess. So for example, if you're, um, uh, if you're, let's say you have unintended acceleration, your, your car takes off. Okay, and if you look through that list, that's a thing that happens. Yes. Uh, yeah. Okay. Now, Toyota never, Toyota always maintained it didn't happen to them. You know, there's there's folks who beg to differ. Let's set that aside. It clearly and there's a variety of it right. too. And a lot of things on your yeah. list. There were multiple items where it was like uh, the brakes won't stop cruise control. You know, right, stuff right, right, like yeah. that. Do not yeah, use cruise control because yeah, the brakes will not turn it off. Yeah. Like oh god. Right. So if you're an automotive engineer and you look at throttle, uh, throttle control, let's say EVs, let's just say it's throttle, even though I, I know it's not, okay, sure. <laughs> on electric vehicles, so yeah, accelerate, yeah. acceleration. That's not at the highest level of severity because the presumption is the driver can counteract it by pressing on the brakes. Right. Okay. But if you have throttle by wire and brake by wire and steer by wire, <laughs> uh... <laughs> Well, Maybe and sometimes not. they sometimes they don't do the bookkeeping. For example, if there's a, you need a vacuum assist to overcome the throttle, and then they take the vacuum assist pump out of the car, but they still take credit for vacuum assist even though it's not there. That's a real story. Okay, so there's a lot of and and then what happens when there's a crash is they blame the driver for not pressing the brakes hard enough. Okay, and it's like so and the driver the driver then have to find a way to pr pr to prove a defense. Well. The, no, the driver is presumed guilty and said uh, is presumed guilty of not overcoming the. the oh right, the driver so, would so crash. The driver is, would be presumed guilty. The driver would then sue the car company. The car company would lose, then say, yeah, and, and lose, then they would lose. And lose, yeah, yeah, because it's like, well, you should have pressed the brake harder. Right? Right. Yeah, and and you do stuff like if you lose brake vacuum on a particular car, it takes a couple hundred pounds to stop the vehicle, and and who's dying in these car crashes? Little ladies who weigh one twenty. Mm -hmm. who who have leg strength of like, you know, 110% of their weight or something like right. that. Well, guess what? They can't press the brake that hard. Yeah. And this is all documented and this these kind of things never come out. It's just, well, little ladies are bad drivers. So, you know, uh, it's not the car company's fault. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. So where I'm going with this is that we build cars so that if they fail, it's the driver's fault for not compensating for the failure in the typical case. And you have to really go to extremes to prove that the driver could not possibly have done anything. And even then, they still try and blame the driver. Mm -hmm. uh, and this is endemic to the whole car industry. 
Yeah. So when you talk about cost of human life, if you can get out of paying for human lives by blaming the victim who who's died and can't defend themselves. Right. You know, that's uh, it really there's this 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 very difficult economic problematic economic situation where it's too easy to blame a driver for an equipment malfunction. Uh, so there's less pressure to fix them. Now, am I saying I, to be clear, some drivers make stupid mistakes and it's their own fault. I get that. You know, some people drive drunk and have crashes and they shouldn't have been driving drunk. There's no question about that. But the, their narrative is, well, some people make mistakes, therefore every crash is a mistake. Well, that doesn't make sense, right? Yeah. Guess what? Sometimes it's the equipment and, and that gets rounded down to driver error. Yeah. In fact, we're having so that, Jesse Singer on the podcast soon, the author oh, of There yeah. Are No Accidents, which I can't wait to talk to her. You're going to get I can't wait to talk to Jesse about <laughs> There great. Are No Accidents. Yeah, yeah. She's, yeah. Gr she's great. I love her. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> okay. that, yeah, go so, on. So, so, so the recall, you know, NHTSA has to decide if it's worth fighting the fight. And then the company makes the recall. And they usually say no deaths or, or injuries associated with this well that they know of or that they couldn't blame on the driver. You know, there's a lot, a lot of asterisks. So it's, it's a very messy business. I mean, I sort of wandered around to give you an idea what what it's like working in this space, but it's a really messy business. Sure. But you know what? All that's going to change. And and every, lots of the industry isn't ready for it. When you take out the driver, you don't have a driver to blame anymore. Right. And all my this friend stuff is a is personal injury out. lawyer and a very yeah. successful personal in, personal injury lawyer, and he is like foaming at the mouth. He's like, "I'm getting a Gulfstream Five. I'm ready." <laughs> He's like, he is so ready for big number uh, lawsuits with this type of well, stuff. When I when I told him about steer by wire in the Cybertruck, he was like, "Oh, should I get blue or black leather in my Gulfstream?" <laughs> He was so well, ready for you it. You better bring someone with software chops. Because yeah, yeah. the problem with this is you can't, it's very, very difficult to make this stuff reproduce. And, mm. and people have a hard time believing it if it's not reproducible. Now, computer folks, though, unreproducible things happen all the time. There's actually physical explanations for things that are inherently not reproducible that are guaranteed to happen. There have been recalls of network switches because of cosmic rays. Mm. <laughs> Really, okay. really. Yeah. There was a, Cisco had a recall because cosmic rays were were, were just just making their their routers go berserk. Okay, huh. and okay. enough routers, and it was this is really a thing. And people are like, oh, that's just crazy. It's like, no, no, no. There's a whole book on it. Here's how it happens. Yeah. Uh, there's data where people looked at a, at a couple hundred servers and they could measure how often it was happening. It's a thing, and it doesn't happen often. But when you have a million cars, it's happening kind of all the time. Sure. Is it, po is it possible? I mean, the way you're talking about this, it's almost like, is it even possible for regulators to catch up at this point? Or are we are they so far behind that we're just we're in a, a whole new world and it's a free for all out there? Well, there's good news and there's bad news. OK, <laughs> as always, the good news is there are safety standards written by the industry. All right. So there's this you talked about the safety books. There's a book. ISO 26262, sorry for the number, that's just what it's yeah. called. Right? Someone's got to, we it's need like, a branding agency to come up with this. We need a, we need a, someone to Hellcatify <laughs> to they, come up with a real catchy name for this book because that's not They good. like their numbers. They like their numbers. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, the fact that I can rattle these numbers off from memory really makes me question my life choices on this. <laughs> but I can't. But I can. Yeah. All right. That one, I don't know, 1,200 pages, north of 1,000 pages for sure. 1,200 yeah. pages, right? 
And there you go. Yep. <laughs> uh, and they're, they're going to take another crack at it. They just launched the Take Another Crack at it. I'm in the U.S. Committee to take another crack and see if we can update it. Okay. And that talks about stuff like this. So if you want to make cars that their computers and, and their electronic equipment are really reliable, life-critical reliable, that standard is an amazing starting point. It, everyone can have qualms. All standards are compromises. All standards are political. All that other stuff. But if they just followed the standard, the kind of stuff I'm talking about would have been taken care of. Cosmic rays, oh, yeah, it isn't like these guys haven't heard about it. They would take care of it. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why you're, you're supposed to, not all cars have this, you're supposed to have two computers checking each other doing your throttle. Some cars have it, some cars don't. Uh, but that way, if one of them goes out to lunch, the other one says, hey, dude, you're out to lunch. Yeah. We're going to use the spring return to control the throttle or or the, the comparable uh, electric vehicle thing. Okay? Yeah. Uh, but guess what? Those are the standards they're not following. So, all right. So is it a matter of... Okay, let's. We can get the standards updated, and then is it just yeah. a matter of applying financial resources to enforce those standards and and really enforcing well, them, or is it? Um, we, we can do better. We can do better now. Now I keep saying they're not following them again. I said this earlier, but I want to make sure because I have friends and companies who do their best. There are some companies who are pretty conscientious. Some companies who actively reject the standards in writing publicly, and everything in between. All right, but as an industry. You know, th there's a race to the bottom if you don't have a requirement for safety, right? And so that's the issue. Right. So now it turns out the government has a play here. They could learn to be software safety experts and hire all those people. NHTSA doesn't have the staff quote allocation. They don't have enough. They don't have enough chairs and 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 money to f to fill the chairs to solve this. Uh, and even if they had the money, it would take a decade probably to build up the experience. And I I know right now they're trying to hire people in this area, but it's it's not of the scale that would be required because they're just a small regulator for the size of the industry they regulate. Mm -hmm. It is what it is. But they had a plan during the previous administration. So this is a Republican proposal, all right? Now, I'm, I don't want to get political, but Republicans have the reputation of not being particularly regulatory mm. and Democrats the opposite. So I'm going to tell you about a proposal from the Republican administration, the last administration, okay, that I think is great because what it said was, hey, you guys in industry have some standards. You just saw one of them. There's a couple more. I saw 21448, UO4600. There's a few more we could add, okay. And the proposal from NHTSA was, hey, guys, we're going to make you follow your own standards. Now, you don't. You don't have to. Shocking. We're not gonna, we're not gonna development. check your work. You must follow your we're own not gonna standards. <laughs> we're gonna let you grade your own homework. We just awesome. need you to swear in a stack of Bibles you're actually following your own standards. Nothing's ever gone wrong with that kind of regulation. Well, 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 what what went wrong with it? It isn't a regulation because it's been it's been drying up on the vine ever since December 2020 when it was proposed. Hmm. Interesting. Okay? It's yeah. made no progress at all. Now, would that fix everything? Uh, I'm, I'm more of a realist to know if you grade your own homework, there's issues. Although the standards do have requirements for independence that if, so NHTSA doesn't have to check all the details. They just have to check with the independence requirement on the conformance check. So there's actually some lightweight ways for the regulators to apply pressure in the industry because the standards, especially UL4600, is designed to be extremely friendly to someone who's trying to figure out if someone's really following the standard or not. Okay. 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 So that's something we could do, but we're choosing not to. Okay. Well, you said in the beginning, 
Europe is is a is a heavy regulatory uh, area, and and we are sort of a light regulatory. I don't think right. that's the word you used, but it was something like that. If you close go enough, close enough, close but, enough, but it's a trade. But the important thing is the trade. They're heavy regulatory, light light uh, litigation. Oh right, right, we're, right. Okay, we're light litigation, heavy. I'm sorry, we're, we're light. U.S. Regulation, is light heavy regulation, yeah. heavy litigation, and so, that's a social choice. But the problem is, you're light on both. You don't get safety. Right. You know, yeah, it's a pay me now, pay me later kind of thing. And if you don't ever pay, you don't get safety. So let me just ask you: If you go to Europe, does that system result in safer cars and safer roads versus uh, the way we do it? Generally, what I've seen is they tend to be safer. Uh, for example, for for electronic throttle control. There's a system the European companies all use, a standardized, an industry standardized system, not an official international standard that I know of. But there's an industry common practice that has two or three computers that all cross check each other called EAS. And they use that on the throttles. And, and the systems that have that, you don't really hear a lot of unintended acceleration complaints. And are you those hear them I mean, the companies the... that aren't using that? Right. So the the but the Audi A4 and the BMW 3 series they're that all, they're selling they're in Germany, they're sell the same same system in America, right? So That that's correct. Okay. Okay. So it's 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 the cars but, that are designed and built over there even if they're sold globally typically, right? But a car that's built somewhere else but then sold there will not necessarily have that system is that Or does correct? it or does it need right. to have it to be no, sold? No, the regulators in don't require. The regulators don't require. Mm. It's just something they do. Because okay. because they're European car companies and and if they didn't do they they have a different approach to safety than the rest mm. of the world I'll just put it that way so right. they just do it because it's like now we don't have to worry about this and the other companies well let's save some money and 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 they worry about it sometimes they get it wrong okay um, let's circle back to to steer by wire um, real quick. I think we're um, ready we, for it now. We okay. touched, yeah, we touched <laughs> on it. My my gut. I'm not an engineer. I'm not even that smart. My gut, as someone who who drives cars, is I don't trust it. <laughs> I I would trust I trust a, I trust an Airbus uh, fly by wire system um, because of all the reasons I you I the FAA and air you know the way they build aircraft. I do not trust uh, steer by wire, but that's just my gut. Am, am I right to not trust it? Am I should I trust it? What are your thoughts on steer by wire? Ah, well, it depends. Um, you can build steer by wire that is safe for sure, and the aviation people have figured that out. So, I uh, there's a community or my research community because I'm a professor day job, right? And I publish research papers, and there's a whole community that's called the dependability community. It used to be called the fault tolerant community. And, and the origins of that community, a lot of the folks came from the folks who did fly-by-wire and, and those kind of things. I mean, that, that's sort of the origins about, hey, guess what? You have an airplane, so one computer isn't going to cut it. We're going to have three yeah. or we're going to have four or we're going to have nine, depending. Yeah. Just okay. I just read fly-by-wire by, by uh, William Languish, I think is how you pronounce his last name. And it's an awesome book. Can't recommend it highly enough. Go on. Cool. So and I, and I talked to the the people at NASA and and the people at FAA and and I've done research I've actually done 
uh, research work. I'm a, I'm a co-author of the handbook on how to make the network safe for stuff like fly, fly by wire for the FAA. So, well, then you're, the, so you're I, the guy. All right. I get in there. Well, there are a couple of guys that are arguably better, but they're not the ones in the podcast. So <laughs> shout out to my friends, shout out to my friends, Kevin and Brendan and Michael. Okay. <laughs> who, who had author spots good. before me in that report. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so, okay. So the deal is that people say we have redundancy and redundancy isn't enough. You have to be very smart about how you use it. You'll hear all the car companies say, oh, we have redundant computers. So that makes us safe. Well, uh, you know the you know the Ariane 5 story? Ariane 5 Flight 501, first flight of this new rocket. They had two computers uh-huh. and they both suffered. They both failed the same way. And so the rocket yeah. crashed. Uh-huh. Right. I don't know the story, but what Alex Roy said was to ask you about why the word redundancy doesn't necessarily mean what most people think it means. Right. Well, I mean, okay, the simple one, and then I'll, I'll tell you a worse story from my own experience. Okay. The simple one is you have four ty- four wheels in your car. Is it okay to take one off? Uh, probably not. <laughs> probably not. Mor- for Morgan trips, might right? tell you differently, but it's <laughs> <laughs> probably not. But- but they had to move the wheel to make that work, right? They yeah, yeah. Third wheel. Yeah, okay. All right. So I'll tell you a story from my own. This happened to me in my, my 20s. Uh, I was commuting home from work. I was working at the naval base in uh, Newport, Rhode Island. And I and nobody, no, I was a young military officer. There's no way I could afford to live anywhere near Newport. So all of us lived on the other side of the bay. So we commuted over this huge bridge every day. Uh, and this bridge is more than 100 feet tall because a U.S. Navy destroyer can sail under it. So you're, and it's a four lane, 55 mile an hour or something, maybe a 60, then I don't even know. You know yeah, I know we're this talking, bridge. It's a big yeah, ass bridge. Yeah, I know, it's I know a big exactly ass bridge. the bridge you're that talking about. That is correct. About. Yes, okay. it's huge. So, so I go over the bridge at at speed because it's a highway. You go highway speed. And then on the other side, there's toll booths. Now, they, I was going home, so they didn't collect tolls, but there's still booths. You have to sort of thread the needle to go through between the booths um, to going home. Okay, so I crest the hill. And it's like, and I'm, I'm speeding up another five miles an hour. So it's like, okay, time to put on the brakes. I press the brakes and my brake pedal goes to the floor. With no resistance, what it just flops on the floor. Yeah. Okay. And so because I've been trained to do it, I press the pedal again. And sure enough, it's stayed on the floor. Yeah. You know, those brakes weren't going to do anything. And so I, fortunately, I'm just a paranoid because I've had so many things like this happen in my life. I made sure my parking brake, remember the old cables that would always rust? Sure. Okay. My parking brake worked because I used it every time I parked my car to make sure there wouldn't be rust buildup. My parking brake worked and it was a manual. And so I aggressively downshifted and used my parking brake to come to a stop by the bottom of the hill. You are a good driver. Or I'd be yes, dead. Or I'd the, be dead. That, is, that okay. is the steps. That's what you do. Yes. Yes. Okay. And I didn't spin it. I mean, I was, it was perfect. Okay. All right. So um, what was the failure mode? Well, I just had my brakes worked on that day and they'd bled the brakes. Oh. Okay. And so bleeding the brakes caused increased pressure in the hydraulic fluid. And there was a latent crack in the brake fluid reservoir, which is a piece of cast metal. And there was a horizontal crack that popped open with the increased brake pressure that dumped both cylinders. Yeah. And I lost all my brakes. Okay. Yeah. All right. True story. Um, but your parking brake was a standalone mechanical cable. Backup. Right. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So that's called a single point of failure. That car, like all cars, had two completely independent brake systems, except for the single point of failure, which was the housing, which could fail in a way that would let out fluid from both reservoirs. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's called a single point of failure. If you want steer by wire, 
you better not have any single points of failure. And that includes not just different motors for different wheels and different computer networks and different computers. That includes the electrical power supply to the computers. That includes, you know, so, so maybe one's on the battery, one's on the alternator. What if you have a battery failure and it takes down your whole electric grid in your car? I mean, what if you have, uh, what if you have computer chips running it that both have a manufacturing defect because they came from the same lot? Yeah. What if you have electronic components that fail? What if you have both wires run through the same wire bundle and they both get hit by a, by a piece of road debris and it severs both wires and you lose your steering? Okay. If you're an airplane person, they've learned over decades all the ways these things can go wrong. The car folks haven't had to go through that as much because they could just say, well, the driver will deal with it. But when you yeah. take away steering, there's no <laughs> dealing with it. <laughs> that's, the, that, that's why that's that to me is my gut of I don't trust this because yeah. if if these systems go down, there is nothing a driver can do to with a steering wheel that isn't well, physically connected to your wheels. Nothing. You're done. So what the airplane folks did is there was an intermediate generation that was fly by wire. So fly by wire means you have a stick, control stick and control pedals, mostly control stick. And when you move the stick, it's sending computer network messages back to a computer that moves the air, air control surfaces. Right. That's fly-by-wire, okay? And But on the systems, the intermediate systems, I think 767, I'm, I'm going by memory, it might not be that particular aircraft, they would have both that as the primary, because there are a lot of reasons why that's a good thing. It actually improves, improves a lot of issues. But they also had a, a mechanical backup. Probably, probably hydraulic, but I don't, I don't know. It's a mechanical backup, just like my mechanical parking brake. Okay, when you remove the mechanical backup, now, now you got you did better work, right? Right, exactly. Right, and and so the question when you talk about someone going drive by wire, how how many miles and how many years do they have with drive by wire with a mechanical backup so they can learn all the lessons? And if they're going cold turkey, it's all mechanical. Guess what? Now it's all just drive by wire. Well, the plane guys were smarter than to do that. So anyone who doesn't have a really well-proven drive-by-wire system that had a mechanical backup, I really have to ask some hard questions about how they're so sure they didn't miss a single point of failure because they can be so subtle and so nuanced. And if hypothetically you were a company that was known for doing move fast and break things, move fast and break things, and broke things, (laughs) I would not necessarily trust such a system from a company like that. Well, there's a way to trust it. Ask to see the certificate for ISO 26262. From uh, an independent, it, independent yeah. conformance track, there are companies. There are companies in this world whose whose main principle purpose in the world is to do independent audits of conformance to these safety standards. And and the train guys use them, and consumer electronics use them, and rail uses them. Uh, some automotive uses them. But the question is, does this company use them? And I've never mm-hmm. heard of them getting mm-hmm. that kind of certificate. Interesting. Okay. Well, that's. I mean, yeah. And 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 also this, this your story about your your car and your parking brake. It it we sort of we glossed over it a little bit, but just pure redundancy means not only secondary and maybe tertiary systems, but systems that don't use exactly the same type of hardware and maybe same type of yeah. software, because if there's a, a bug in that system, it could take it could be exactly the same in, in the other ones, right? If they're not different. They, they call that a systematic error. 
And those yeah. are problems, right? And software yeah. is the ultimate, because if you put the same software in two computers, it's going to fail. That rocket I mentioned, that's yeah. why it failed. Uh, well, I mean, you can go really down deep the rabbit hole as to why, the why, the why, the why, the why. Yeah. But but they both had computers that did something they were designed to do in the in in the designers, you know, it, it just it just failed due to lack of it failed in a very predictable way, but only in hindsight. And they yeah. both failed the same way, so it lost both guidance computers, and the only thing left was to self-destruct because yeah. it was a rock. That's what they do, right? Right. So the Cybertruck has you know two electric motors to steer the wheels, but it seems like to have a backup system that's not mechanically linked with like a steering shaft, you need a third rack and pinion electric motor that doesn't do anything until it's like the emergency brake. So then you have this electric well, motor that sits there kind of dormant for a long time. But is it but is it one computer running all three? Then you got to see. I, I, no, I, 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 I don't think it is. I don't think it is. But still, I just it, it you know, again, not an engineer, but to yeah. not have a mechanical connection between my the wheels that control my direction and a steering and a yeah. steering device to me is woof, I it just don't know about that for something that doesn't need to be complicated. Well, well, there are, there are benefits to to whatever it is by wire, the X by wire, chip by wire, chip by wire, um, brake by wire. There are benefits to it, but you, the table stakes to do it safely are quite high. Sure. Right? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, and and I don't I don't want to. This isn't the shit on Tesla show. I just that particular system gave me the heebie-jeebies. Well, look, and I mean, so I, that's why that's how I ended up talking to you in the company, first place. From any company would give me the heebie-jeebies. To be well, honest, now right? that I've read I, I your that list my... of <laughs> your list of your list of software related recalls that can make cars drive in crazy crazy ways, um, did not improve my uh, vibes about new well, cars today. So so let's go let's go there. Why did I do that list because so I was one of the pull it pull up the list Zach and just scroll through it because and we'll put the link in the show description so everyone can yep. go read it if you want to have nightmares I would start by reading <laughs> this list uh, and then get in your car and drive down the highway <laughs> and, and be, so so let me let me tell you why I did this list and let me tell you what's in the list the reason I did this list was I have a talk that I do. There's an hour-long talk about Toyota unintended acceleration with just this incredible laundry list of engineering problems with their system. Uh, and, and what I got from that was, well, you criticize their engineering, but you can't prove it killed someone. Uh, well, a jury, a jury thought that it did, but okay. you know, let's set that aside, okay? People said, no, those are all theoretical problems there's no case in which software has really hurt or killed someone or software, you know, the, the industry is so good, these software problems are all theoretical, it never really happens. And I said, you don't understand, this happens all the time, you're just not paying attention. Yeah. So, so what I did was a few years ago, I sat down and went through all the NHTSA recall database and just did a search on software and manually curated a list saying, here are all the scary things software has done. And since then, it's probably been two years since I've updated this list thoroughly. I put stuff on if it catches my eye, but I have not gone back through the recall list. So I'm sure there's another 20 or 50 things to add here. Uh, and these are all things that are just kind of scary. And, and there's a bunch of them I didn't put on. I've lost track of how often the, the, um, the screen goes black and you lose your rear view camera, which is FMVSS. Yeah, that one, that one is really, uh, really frequent. 
That one happens I, and I just, all the time. I stopped putting them on the list because it's and, – and the problem there is they're using everyday software and relying on it for safety, which is just a bad idea. Yeah. So um, anyone who has who has their infotainment system showing them their vehicle speed and gear and error indications. Yeah. You're using a non, non-safety critical rated system for safety critical purpose, and you should not expect that to work out well. And that's why we're getting these kind of recalls. I really, uh, we're, I really recommend everyone goes to this link and reads this. And it's it's done. It says it's it's got each manufacturer. It sometimes shows specific models and years of cars, um, and the kind of stuff that can go wrong. I mean, I, I one one really drove my uh, drew my attention was like the F one fifty Ford with the six speed automatic gearbox would randomly select first gear at any yeah. speed. Like yeah, it would downshift into first at highway speeds and just like lock up the rears and people yeah. were spinning into ditches. That like bad. that's bad. That's really, really bad. And like there was one on a, on a Harley Davidson that had uh linked brakes by wire, like, and it would lock up the rear brake on a bike. Like, whoa, like no bueno. Like, and, and before, before the hate mail gets started, I want to explain the methodology here. Okay. Every, there's a handful of exceptions that are to news articles and reputable sources, but the vast majority have a link to a NHTSA recall document. Yeah, yeah. And all I'm doing is cutting and pasting text from a recall document. Sure. So anyone says, like, you're making this stuff up. So I'm just copying out of a recall document. That's all this is. Yeah. But the problem is it's so tedious and painful to go find this stuff. Yeah. The value in this list is just... Did you uh, did you realize what was going on? This is what's going on. I'm ju- I'm just here to tell you what's going on, right? And it and it really it's, it's is a link like the document right there. It's all it's all manufacturers. I mean, I I don't know. Maybe maybe like Bugatti got away with one or something, but like basically, <laughs> pretty much all mainstream car manufacturers are it's represented in this list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And some well, commercial trucks and some motorcycles uh, as well. Yeah. And this is an industry that thinks more software is a good idea. Yeah, um, which actually, you know, uh, I I, uh, I don't want to keep you too long, but I want to just circle back after all of this, really to the to the title of your book, which is uh, something I think is really an interesting question because um, a lot of uh, uh, pro autonomy uh, firms and pro autonomy people and autonomy boosters and and uh, uh, bulls as it were you know um, they they're using this, this the the backdrop of safety to promote autonomous vehicles and they so frequently refer to a hypothetical average driver and I go batshit when I hear about this as if a as, well driver, you should. as well you should <laughs> as if a driver's ability cannot be improved beyond average like we can't bring yeah. the val the uh, the skill level of a driver up using training using uh, uh, concrete and paint using signs and signals oh, no, 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 no. You're, you're missing you're totally missing it Matt okay okay tell tell the me average, talk to me the average includes the drunks Oh, good. <laughs> good. Great. Let's make sure so we, Let's make sure we saying, factor them in. We start by saying the average unimpaired, undistracted driver, and you get a, like a factor of two right there. Right. Okay. All right. So that's better. Okay. Yeah. So, and also, so also they're in an average car, which is 12 years old. So it doesn't yes. have anti-lock brakes. It doesn't have automatic emergency braking. It doesn't have airbags. Right. 
To go back so, to, so there's that study that is it Noah, Noah what's his name? Uh, the study that Niedermeyer talks about all the time. Yeah. That, the, that, uh, that uh, you know you who drove, used. You drove, it, you drove it out of my head, but it's Nessus Noah. That's correct. <laughs> yes. Um, and, and, and it talks about when, when they said, you know, autopilot improves this amount of safety and they left out all these other factors. Uh, right. such They're driving new cars instead of old cars. They're city miles versus country miles. Yes, exactly. That's right. Exactly. That's right. So, but to, to, to the to your point, where do you have an opinion on what is safe enough if we're talking about handing over control of our vehicles to a computer or how we might actually good faith ponder such a thing? Um, it's the wrong question. How's that? Okay. What's the right question? <laughs> okay. So if, if you go to my scholarly uh, publications on my webpage, the most recent paper which is going to be, you know, we're down to most of your audience is not going to want to go there. So I'll do the summary. <laughs> <laughs> Although all of you go to my videos, there's a YouTube video that goes through. It is somewhat, somewhat academic, but, but I'll give you the short version. Okay. The companies are all trying to sell the auto, the, the robo taxi companies, especially trying to say we're safer than human drivers. So it's, you have a moral imperative to let us on the road. Right. You know, Tesla's playing that card. Oh, they're all playing this card. Okay. And there, there are two problems with that. One is, um, we don't know how that's going to turn out and it's going to be another billion with a B miles before we actually know, right? All the studies proclaiming that they're safer than a human are their best guess based on current trends, 7 million miles down another, you know, uh, hundred and ninety-three million more to go, or yeah, something. Yeah, seven like million that. is like yeah. one of those numbers that sounds like a lot, but it really isn't a lot, when right? You, when you're hundred million between fatalities, it's it's a drop in the bucket. Yeah, right? it's like saying and, my system is ninety-nine percent safe, but what we really need is ninety-nine point nine 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 percent safe, right? Yeah, it's like uh, it's like eleven nines. It depends how you want to measure it. It's eleven, 11 nines. Eleven nines. It depends if you're going by meter or by second or yeah. by hour. You yeah, know. if you do out right. the math, ninety-nine percent is like a person and crashing like badly two or three times a year. It's like really, really bad, yeah. 99%. Yeah. People Go say six, six or seven nines, but that's per hour, and a lot of stuff happens in an hour, so there's yeah. a lot of nine. Yeah, okay, okay sorry. Go and on. it's really, really hard to make computers that good. And, and so, yeah, you need a you need hundreds of millions of miles, maybe yeah. a million miles, you know how it turns out, right? And But what they're doing is they're saying, well, we're saving lives. Now, there, there's a problem with that. They won't know if that's true for a billion miles. Nobody will know if that's true, mm -hmm. especially if they're not following the safety standards. So there's not even a reason to believe it's true other right. than they're smart. Trust them. Right. OK, we swear. All right. And now to be clear, there's some good people trying really hard and I respect that. But as someone who's sharing the road with these vehicles, I'm not going to take the word of somebody who's profit oriented that trusts us. We're safe. You know, we're saving. And then every time there's something bad in the news, people who are not safety experts go look at the bad news, maybe yeah. I should question what they're saying. Yeah. And so I think it's a mistake. I think that's the worst possible move they could have made because every crash takes away trust and hope. And, you know, every crash takes away trust and they can't get the trust back for another billion miles. So what, sure. are, they, what are they thinking? It just, it's just not the right move. They, they should be selling on, we're making the cities a better place. Uh, there, I'm not going to, I promise not to channel my inner David Zipper here, you know, <laughs> we're making the, better, the cities a better place. We're having all these social benefits and we promise to be, to do no harm. And we promise every time something wrong happens, we're going to get right on top and fix it. Which is what you, what you didn't see. What you saw from Cruz was oh, from Cruz, were, yeah, it was really they're bad. Yeah, yeah. They're aggressively scaling without fixing the messes they already knew about. 
Okay. Mm -hmm. That's not called testing. That's called scaled deployment. Testing is you find something, you fix it. But they were skipping the fixing part, just getting right on. Well, that's right also what one might call full self-driving. That's not testing either. That's just no, that's not sending testing. it. That's, 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 that's a straight hold my beer status. That's testing cosplay. Yeah. Is what it is. Okay. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It, because right. people, when you call it a beta, people, the people that are using it, they, yeah. and there's that, it's there's that, that button. You feel like you're doing a report. You feel like you're doing research, but, but there's no process for follow up. And, and apparently they don't have enough people to look at all the button presses is what I hear, but I don't yeah. know that for sure. That's just what I hear. Right. Okay. So, so if you, if you really want to say we're saving lives, you're, you're playing a game you can't win. I mean, it sounds good. It's, when you have five cars, you can get away with it because weird things don't happen to five mm -hmm. cars. But when you have a thousand cars, weird things happen every day. That's safety. Safety isn't about the good days. It's about the bad days. And the more cars you have, the more days will have one bad day for one car in it. And there you are in the newspaper. Okay? Yeah. So, so that's the wrong. That is a goal that we want them to be safer than humans, or at least no worse, for sure. I'm not saying that's not important, but it's not actionable in the near term. It's just hand waving. So what should you do instead? You you need a list. And so the my latest academic paper actually has this list and I'll I'm going to be doing a I have to put together a talk I'm going to do in a couple of months about this and then Ooh. there'll be a YouTube video about it, okay? Is it, is it going to be on video? You will we have It'll be on YouTube. Yeah, okay, absolutely. great. Yeah, great. Absolutely. Okay, cool. Okay. I can't wait to see that. Cool. But, well, the the talks in like two or three weeks, so I guess I better get it together. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, the so the the idea, though, behind it is safety is more than just net risk. I mean, now, this is a hot thought experiment. I'm not saying any car company would do this, but I'm going to give you a graphic evocative thought experiment to prove a point, okay? Let's say the total number of people you killed was half. If I stop speaking there, everyone's like, oh, that's cool, right? Okay. What if every single person you killed was a pedestrian? Uh-huh. Which is way more than are killed now. Right. What okay, if every so in, in, person uh, was passenger a child, deaths went way down, a, pedestrian deaths go way up. Uh, what if it's everyone's a child in a school crosswalk and those are the only people who die and it's 10% of the current fatality, so you're killing 4,000 kids a year? That's not going to fly. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so, so the engineers love utilitarian arguments. Well, you know, the net cost went down, so it's a win. Yeah. And real life is more granular than that. You, you just can't say that. It, it has to be the total goes down, but also there's no patterns that, that there are winners and losers. Uh -huh. It has to, every, almost everyone has to at least come out even or be a winner or this isn't going to fly. Because <laughs> right. the people yeah. are losing are not going to be happy. Exactly. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. That makes so exact sense. So that's one thing. Yeah, and yeah. People, people, they aren't talking about this, okay? And pedestrians, I worry about pedestrians. The people in the car have the airbags. Yeah. Pedestrians, not so much. So I real the pedestrians are the ones I worry about. And pedestrian who, deaths are way up in the last ten years already. I mean, forgetting forgetting yeah. software just due to due so, to all kinds of other factors. Yeah. You want to get in a robo taxi and you've believed all the hype and and you get hurt. I mean, I still have sympathy for you, but I have a lot more sympathy for the poor pedestrian who gets hurt. Who, for who, sure, for sure. I'm, we live in Los Angeles, and I say this over and over. There's Tesla. Every third car in my city is a Tesla, and I ride my motorcycle around on these roads. Yeah. And yeah. here in LA, the driving, you know, other than our beautiful mountains, the driving sucks. People are on their phone. If they're told this software, you know, will do most of the driving for them, they're just going to believe it. And of course they're they are. Gonna, and and they're that's gonna, what we see. Yeah. That's what we see. That's what's happening, right? And I haven't okay. consented to this bullshit um, on my motorcycle where if I hit, if I'm hit by a Tesla, I die. 
I, I get that. And, and the, a big issue with Tesla for the reason they to recall is it's, well, there's this legal concept. I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't even play one on TV, but I hang out with one on occasion. Uh, and there's this legal concept called detractive nuisance that if you don't put a fence around your swimming pool, it's your fault because right. kids want to go in swimming pools, right? You know, right. it's your fault for not putting the fence in, right? And I want attractive nuisance for adults. And, you know, it's <laughs> you can argue that autopilot FSD is an attractive nuisance for adults. It just sucks them in, yeah. especially with all the thing they've been told. And so you can blame them for abusing it, but blaming them isn't going to stop the next crash. Yeah. Um, you, we have, safety, you don't care about you don't care about blame. You care about not having the next crash. I yeah, I hear you absolutely. We have we have some good questions on our Patreon, and I don't want to keep you. Do you have like five to ten minutes? Or are you in a hurry? I can, no, I'm not in a hurry. We have some time. Okay. Um, let let me let me add let me add one more thing about safety. Yeah. There's a list of like five, but the other one is it's not okay to break the law. You know, it's not See, okay to run through stop signs because you say you're a good driver. Right. You know, that, even if you cut the number of people you kill in half, but everyone was killed because you ran a red light, I'm going to say that's not acceptable to society either. So are you – would the – could I extrapolate that argument to say that it is not okay to set a radar cruise control system above the speed limit? Do you do you feel that way as well or, or – uh... I, I don't go that far. I'll go this way. Um, negligence should apply to computers as well as people. That's fair. When you, press, when you press the go button, if the computer acts in a negligent way leading to a loss, it should be treated the computer should be treated as the guilty party, not the driver who is who is seduced into playing with their phone because of course that's what people right. do, right? Yeah, because we know, have short car, attention spans. Yeah. yeah. If the if the car company programs in blowing through stop signs and that leads to a crash, you shouldn't say that they have zero responsibility. I co- I completely agree with you. I completely agree with you. I didn't know uh, we have a uh, a few more uh Patreon questions from our, uh, Let's our do the listeners. Questions. Let's do the questions. I didn't know. Yeah, no, and, and there's. I'm going to pick the ones that I think are actually uh, appropriate to topics sure. that that we've brought up today. Sure. And one one specifically uh, as to what we what you just mentioned. James Crowley says, "Is there value in a warning beacon uh, for autonomous cars and those using uh, level two ADAS? If so, uh, what do you think it would take for to be a widespread adoption?" A warning beacon. Well, Meaning I think like should might... a should a, a car have a a, a a light on the roof that is generally yeah. understood to mean this car is being driven by software. Yeah, in in one uh, in one uh, context that we call that a whoopee light. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I think that every test vehicle should have a whoopee light, and if you say that your vehicle is a test vehicle, it should have it, because a test vehicle is not mature software. It's it's expected to have defects or you wouldn't be testing it. So I think it should have it. I think that's very unlikely to happen, but I think it should. Well, and, you and, saw the uh, Mercedes uh, turquoise lights. Did you see the story on that? Yeah, I think those, those are kind of interesting because it's not, they're not claiming they're testing. They're claiming they have mature product and they're just trying to say, hey, you should understand we might behave differently because the computer is driving. Although interesting part about, about Mercedes their, their PR people probably hate me because I'm I'm I just won't let it drop. So I'm going to bring it up here. They say you can play games and watch a movie, but they won't say that it's their fault if they have a crash. Oh, really? I thought the whole point of their quote level three system was that they do assume responsibility. No, they don't. Of... No, they don't. Oh. No, they don't. 
when you read closely, and you have to read closely, okay, but I've read the direct material from Mercedes, okay, and the I've read what they said to reporters, I've read the public stuff. What they say is we, we assume product liability. Well, of course they do, right? But we weren't talking about product liability. We were talking about tort liability. We were talking about lawsuits that you ran someone over and they're suing you for wrongful death. They're not talking about that at all. They, they don't oh, talk shit. about that. Oh, shit. I fell for it. Right. Damn it. Yes. Yes, you did. And that I was the intended result, near as I can tell. Everyone's oh, falling for it. Man. That's why I'm on the soapbox. They're not talking about civil or criminal liability. They're talking about product defects, which oh, of course they are. Oh, man. That sucks. I fucking fell for it. That sucks. All right, I'm gonna. I'm not gonna say that ever again. Okay. Uh, if, you, if you really want the details, I'll send them to you. But, but in fact, I one of my papers, my list of papers, one of my papers, sort of uh, explains all that. Oh man. All right. Well, I would like to read that, and I shit, I fell for it. Okay. Uh, good on you for you, the correction you and, there. You and ninety percent of the press, ninety nine percent of the press. I don't. Yeah. Care. Yeah. It, it, it's crazy. Uh, uh, Randy says, uh, "Do can you foresee any solutions for making autonomous vehicles work in Pittsburgh winters? Snow and ice and man, that's a tough one. I don't know about that. Uh, it's snowing today, and I told my wife I'm not going out. She's going to have to walk to work, which is about, <laughs> which is a ten which is a ten minute walk. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> so uh, you know." Yeah, there are actually some really cool videos of these guys in Finland, these these insane people in Finland who got their autonomous vehicles going through the snow and doing drifts and all this other stuff. You can absolutely do it if you want to, whether or not that's really how you want to spend your research dollars and whether that's that's okay for crowded cities, sort of a different question. So yeah. in principle, yeah, but it's a whole different skill set than normal driving. Yeah, I think it would be better. I think as long as you still have manual control of a vehicle, there there are situations where it doesn't necessarily need to. You know, you don't I, you don't need it to work in a snowstorm for well, it to be good. So I doubt in my lifetime we're going to see vehicles that can do everything everywhere because there's no economic reason to do it. I mean, so they have trucks that go on rails railroads, yeah. right? And the trucks trucks go out and they inspect the signals and do this. Technically. If a truck you build can't be modified to do that, it's not a level five does everything, right? Right. Does it make it, you know, or or being able to put a truck uh, up on a service lift or being able to put it on a, on, a, on a car carrier or, I mean, eventually, but should you let those stop you from selling no. cars? That's no. ridiculous, right? Yeah, no, I, I don't think so. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, Prashan says, uh, are we reaching the limits of Moore's law? And does that have any effect on the advancement of uh, automation and AI in general? Or are there other limiting factors besides computing power that hold us back from autonomous vehicles? Okay, some background. Moore's law was this observation made by an Intel guy a long time ago that Computing power was going to double every year. I'm, I'm doing the, the simple version. You know, yeah. Computer power is going to double and double and double and double. And after 10 doublings, that's a thousand times. So it adds mm -hmm. up really quick. Okay. Uh, and every since I've been a computer engineer, which is a long time, people are saying, oh, we're going to run out of Moore's Law any, any day now. Right. And, and they haven't. So uh, the doubling has changed its nature. And what you're seeing is instead of single computers getting faster, you're seeing more computers being put on the chip, like GPUs, like mm -hmm. lots of computers all working together. So I, I think that 
the industry is finding a way to get more computing power. It no longer is just turning the clock up so it, goes, so it runs faster. That, that sort of stopped a while ago. Now they're doing other things, but we're gonna, we're gonna have as much computer compute power as we want. Uh, that there are some things you need a certain amount, like um, uh, deep learning and chat GPT and all that stuff needed a certain amount of compute power that's gonna be done. So new things will be possible as we get more compute power, but I don't see running out of compute power being the problem. It's more like coming up with software that does stuff we find useful. Cool. Uh, two more questions, and then we'll let you go. Justin says, do you ever get tired of the trolley problem memes? Trolley problem? I've never yeah, heard. I... <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Save me from the trolley problem. <laughs> the, the, trolley, the trolley problem. Um, all right. So this is going to take an unexpected twist. The original trolley problem is not what you think. The trolley problem is... Everyone says the trolley problem is, well, there's one person in on a track and there's five people in track and you're going hit to the, hit the five. Do you switch to, to kill the one instead of the five? But right. that's not right. actually the original paper. If you read the original paper, it says, why are people okay with saving, killing one to save five when they're not okay to do organ harvesting where you take a personally healthy, a perfectly healthy person and kill them to save five people who need organs? That was the original paper. It seems it's like a, that's missing the crucial context. <laughs> it right. like yes, it is. Actually... it is. But actually, it's coming back. So let me tie this together, okay? <laughs> the original paper, why are we okay with that? We're not okay with organ harvesting. Believe, you know, I'm, I'm not okay with organ harvesting from life, from healthy people. But trust me, okay? You know, after you've died, it's a whole different deal. That's not what we're talking about here, okay? You know, I'm not okay with intentionally killing people to save other people. Um, and, and I think that the... And then people say, why are many people okay with saving, uh, killing, uh, killing one and save five? Not everyone is, to be clear, and that gets controversial. But, but the, the point of the original paper, I went back and read the original paper because someone said this, and that is what it says, is that, is that it's, it's more complicated than net number of people killed. Uh -huh. The context matters. Yeah. So now when you have people saying, well, it's okay to kill people with immature driving technology because we're going to save more people later, right? You know, yeah. I, I mean, so is it okay that some of the people that the people killed are going to be the people who couldn't afford the car? Right. You know, right. It, it, and it, it goes back to what context, you said earlier about, about you're saving lives, but you kill more pedestrians or you kill more yeah. school kids right. or what, you right. run over more dogs and, or whatever. Yeah. And people want to make it about well, the homeless man, the homeless person, or the or the doctor who's saving lives, or the the religious person. They want to make or the baby versus the old person. They want to make it about the value of the human life. Yeah. But that's that's the wrong question. The yeah. question is, is it okay to put dangerous technology out in the public right. where it's going to imperil people who didn't sign up? Right. Because maybe, and we don't even know if it's true yet, maybe someday you'll save some lives. Yeah. That's the trolley problem that matters. It's not the one that gets all the press, but that's right. the one that matters. I, that context is so important. Yes, it is. <laughs> that's. I just learned another one where co the where the second half of it is completely ignored. The can you yeah. pull up the quote, Zach? The the rest of the sentence that begins begins imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. I'm sure everyone knows that well, quote. Imita that one, imitation right? is the sincerest form of flattery. Do you know what the rest of the sentence is? I don't. I'm eager to learn something today. It's, it, it provides very important context to the first part of the sentence. It says, 
Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery that mediocrity can pay to greatness. <laughs> <laughs> which is which is important context That's That's to provide to that. It's from Oscar Wilde. Oh my God! Right? If you That's if great. you That's if you great. fucking put a period after flattery, it's not really the same thing, is it? No, it's not. It's a pretty hard call out if you use the whole sentence. <laughs> pretty brutal. Okay, very last question, and then we'll let Phil go. It has absolutely nothing to do with your work in autonomy. Can we go back to the page so I can read it? Someone who, go up top, very top. Uh, Michael Cosgrove was always fascinated by the Carnegie Mellon story of their Coke machine inventory status hack. Do you have any idea what I'm talking about? Yes, because when I, I got my PhD at Carnegie Mellon, and when I was a PhD student, that was operational. So they took a Coke machine and they hooked up uh, an internet connected computer, which is a big deal back then, because we're talking the- We're talking 80s? The mid 80s, mid 80s, yeah. late 80s, right? And you could you could go in and over the computer network, because I remember doing this just because it was so fun. Uh, you know, hey, I'm a geek, what can I say? You would say, hey, Coke machine, what's going on? And it would say, oh, I have, uh, you know, 17 cans of Coke of which eight are cold and the rest are warm. And I have so many cans of this and here's how many are cold, here's how many are warm. That that was, you know, you could find out. And the reason they did it, besides it just being a, a, a completely amazing geek hack, was um, to save walking down in the machine to find out it was out of your favorite flavor of Coke. I mean, in the 80s, that was what nerds did to, to have a good time. It's very efficient. That's right. That's right. That's it's a very right. efficient so I, use of I time. take no credit. I take no credit for that hack, but I, I actually remember it being there, and I remember, uh, remember using it. Would you like to play a game? How do you feel uh, about the movie War Games? <laughs> uh, well, you know, all, those, all the Hollywood stuff is usually pretty oversimplified. What do you think is although, the best? What is be the best clear, example? Let's passwords? go the other way. What's the best? Ex yeah. uh, the the other way. What's the best way? The best Hollywood example of uh, of tech. Do you have a good one that good, you like? Good tech. I mean, I I like the Matrix movies. Those are pretty cool. They're thought provoking, okay. right? Those okay. are good. Yeah. Uh, there, are there's they some other ones. Realistic? <laughs> I'm real freaked out right now. Uh, you know what? The most realistic tech movie is Hunt for Red October. Oh, oh, with the missile codes. With, well, with the with the way the sonar worked and the way all the op oh, I just I, used to, I just confused I used, it for Crimson Tide. I'm sorry. No, no, not my Crimson bad. Tide. My bad. Well, I know Hunt for Red October. Sean Connery. My understanding is Crimson Tide is pretty pretty uh, realistic, but I didn't actually do that job. But I did do the Hunt for Red October job. Uh, what do you mean the life. job? Oh, I oh, the to, job. Oh, the, in the you. Oh, really? Oh, cool. I drove submarines for a living. Right about then. Yes. Success. Oh boy. And now so we have something movie, to talk about next show. That's rule. That rules. That movie is extremely realistic. Except for uh, Sean's Russian accent. <laughs> the technical stuff is extremely realistic, and I, I even know one of one of the guys. This guy George Billy. He's the he's the short blonde guy in the mini sub in the movie, right? Uh huh. Uh huh. He's a real Navy officer. And I spent uncountable hours with him taking turns on a periscope someplace I can't talk about uh, right before they made that movie. So, oh, wow. You know, that, cool. <laughs> he actually knows his stuff. And I know where a lot of the sayings and quotes came from because of that kind of Oh, guy. how interesting. So that so would actually an make An indirect you, uh, relationship. <laughs> you're the second. Uh, what, I mean, what do, you, what do you call the person who drives the sub? What is that title? Oh, so the guy who drives the sub, there's the officer of the deck. Mm -hmm. He's basically... 
there's the captain, but every night, so for the later part of my career, the captain would be asleep and I would be, I would run the ship from midnight to 6 a.m. while the captain was sleeping. Oh, I wow. still had to ask him for permission and stuff. But the guy who's running the ship when the captain's not actually there in the room is called the officer of the deck. And that, okay. that I had that job for a while. Yeah. Oh, wow. So you're the second person on our show who has uh, driven a military watercraft. We had uh, Jesse Awuji, who is a race car driver now. He's a NASCAR driver. And wow. he drove uh, he drove destroyers. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Or or targets, as we call them in the submarine world. <laughs> <laughs> That's fucking cold, bro. <laughs> oh, wow. Phil, this was so interesting. Thank you so much for your time. Um, I think these topics are really important. I can't wait to see your your lecture on YouTube. I'll make sure to share that on the socials. We'll put all of the uh, the links of stuff that we talked about in the show notes. I really encourage everybody to uh, read that electro that list of recalls and have nightmares for a couple days because it's really, 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 really gnarly. Um, and of course, um, your book is available where people uh, buy books. Please buy it. Order it from your local bookstore. Don't buy it from um, you know who. He doesn't need another 550 foot yacht. How safe is safe <laughs> enough? Measuring and predicting autonomous vehicle safety. I ordered it myself last night. I'm gonna I'm gonna get it. Cool. And have a thanks. Read. Yeah. So thank you so much again uh, for your time, Phil. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. It's been a blast. All right. And thank you to our patrons for asking such good questions today. And uh, we'll see you later this week. Bye.